A reading from the second epistle of Peter, the third chapter beginning with the first verse. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. In them I am trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately ignore this fact, that by the Word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same Word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless." But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be burned up. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with His promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by Him at peace, without spot or blemish. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Speaking of this as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, Since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a popular saying these days is that it's not about the destination. But what's it about? You've heard this, church, right? The journey. 
that all of life is not about some destination, but a journey. That's a good thing for us to hold in hand right now. But it might call to mind those times when we've been involved in journeys. Have any of you ever driven more than six hours? All right, keep your hands up. More than eight hours. More than ten hours? You can put your hands down if you'd like, not more than eight. No? Man, you people drive. Let me tell you what I notice about the 10-hour trip I take to Lake Erie. The first eight hours of that thing go by easy. It's the last two that just about kill me. Isn't that about right? When you get to that point where you're 75% there, that's when everything starts breaking down. I learned a very valuable lesson about that transporting my nephew Aiden for the first time from his parents' home in Ohio. It was eight and a half hours. That day it felt like 90 Now, when we were leaving, my sister-in-law brought Aiden out to the car, and Aiden was a little less responsive than normal because his mama had given him half of a Benadryl. And she announced that to us like we would just think that was okay. And I remember thinking, that's a horrible thing to do to the kid. Why did you do that? She said, you'll see. (laughs) And then about four hours through the trip, I asked Samantha, where's the other half of that Benadryl? Because for Aiden, that the eternal question wasn't, are we there yet? You ever heard, you've heard that on your drives, right? Are, are we there yet? Aiden had learned that parents don't want to hear, are we there yet? So he asked, are we halfway there yet? Because he wants to know, where's that point where he can start to appreciate that he's really on the journey, right? That if, if I can survive this long, if I can survive to this point, I can make the next half. It's very different than when you get to that 75% point on your journey and start questioning everything about your journey. Why in the world am I going to this place? Does it really matter? Are these people worth visiting? All of those questions that pop into mind are the questions that the church that Peter is writing to are struggling with. It's been this long and nothing has happened yet. But what they heard from the early church was that Jesus was coming right back. That peppers the language of Paul in his letters. In the book of Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, it just covers, colors his whole argument to the church. That Jesus' return is imminent. And here we stand, like them later, wondering, where is it? Are we there yet? By any stretch of the imagination, can we have hope that this journey is worth it? What do we do with this sense of hope that we have that something is different, but we look at the world and everything looks the same? We keep waiting for the peaceable kingdom, but all we see is violence and bloodshed. We keep waiting for human beings to wake up and treat each other with dignity, and it doesn't come. And just like the church that Peter wrote to, we can get so caught up in the naysayers and the scoffers who say, look, Jesus hasn't changed anything. What in the world has Jesus' presence really changed, they say? Peter's letter is an encouragement to know the answer to that question. In the very first chapter of this letter, he says that we are inheriting the nature of God. That through Christ in us, through our faith 
in Christ and through Christ's presence in us, we are being transformed, being remade in the likeness of Christ. We are made partakers of the divine nature, he says, which means that we are becoming like God. We are becoming divine. We are being changed. And so there's hope. And when the scoffers come, we can either say, well, they're right. Nothing is different. Or we can say, I'm different. I know the difference that following Christ has made in my life. Do you? Can you? Who said that? Easton, you're awesome. (laughs) Can you sit for 15 minutes on your own and ponder the difference that knowing Jesus has made in your life? Why not do that? Take 15 minutes today. Not tomorrow, not Tuesday, but today. Take 15 minutes and sit down with an index card. A little tiny piece of paper. And in bullet points, can you write down three ways that Jesus has changed your life? Three ways that knowing the risen Son of God has changed you. Because if you can do that, then you know that the way of this journey is a way of hope. And it's not a way of abandonment. If you can do that, then you're in touch with Peter's reasons for holding on. And holding on with the hope that God is truly at work. That what others see as God being slow is God being patient. And longing for as many people as possible to hear the good news of Christ. And to live in this state of good news. In this time of being the church in the world. Of being Christ's body in the world. Of being God's walking promise that things will be different. Because if you are being changed. If you can sit down for 15 minutes in quiet reflection. And you can write three ways on an index card that you are changed. Then dear one, the world is changed. Because you are in the world. And if we can do that together, then we can say how this community has changed, how Adna is changed, how Terzit is changed, how Rock Hill and York are changed, because we are in and of those places. Then we can say exactly how God is at work in the world still, and not leaving the world to itself, and tell the scoffers that they're wrong, that Jesus has made a difference in the here and now. What the church was threatened with turning toward was an idea that this is all about dying and going to heaven. A Gnostic idea that says that the whole point of Christ is that we would escape the body and leave the badness of the physical world and escape into the betterment of the heavenly world and leave behind all of the physical. And what Peter would ask us is then why did He take on flesh and carry that flesh to heaven? If it's not because there's a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth, the end goal is not that we escape creation, but that creation is being remade, it is being transformed, it is being reborn, it is being recreated because God is continuing to speak. And one of the ways that God continues to speak through the world is through you. Through you. Through you individually and through you as a congregation, God continues to speak good news and new birth into the world.
the scoffers will raise their hand and say, what difference is this Jesus stuff making? I wonder, church, what is your answer? Because in you, God's promise still lives. And that's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that if we are in Christ, we are a new creature. We are a new creation. Because the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, has swept through us and spoken new life in us. You are the new creation. You are the new creation. You are the new heaven, the new earth, present now for all who would scoff and not believe. Are you willing to sit down for 15 minutes? That's shorter than your TV shows. For 15 minutes today. It's one thirty-second of an NFL football game. For 15 minutes. Are you willing to take the risk of writing down the difference that knowing Jesus has made so that you could stand with Peter and say, things are being made new. The promise of God in Christ still stands. There is new life because there's new life in me. My prayer, dear ones, is that you're willing to do that. The index card, post-it note. Not asking you for a thesis paper. If you can write those things down, you can share those things. And you can be a witness that God is still at work in the world and willing that none would perish. And you can embrace the journey that you're on. And what Peter says to us at the very end, if we want to continue this journey, if we want to embrace it and jump into it, he says, continue, continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the beginning of that is to recognize what He has done in your life. Because it's in the change in you that you're most able to see God's grace at work. Fifteen minutes. Peter's last sentence is this, to Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God will be glorified by your work in that exercise of considering how God has impacted your life. The grace of God's Spirit be with you as you do that, church. Amen. Amen.